Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to another broadcast, internet radio broadcast of Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Timothy Aaron. Hopefully you have been enjoying the show so far. Um, This ministry, I try my best. We try our best to interpret scripture by scripture and to just put it out there. It's not up to us to try to fix God's word for God. That's what a lot of people do. That's why there's a lot of compromising going on out there. People trying to fix God's word for God so it can fit modern day culture. But that's not cool. That's not cool at all. Uh, so we like to just interpret scripture by scripture and, and, and keep it straight as possible. No compromising, no adjustments. It's God's word. <laughs> so it's perfect. Uh, before I go any further, <clears throat> today's uh, show is called Truth or No Truth. That's what today's show is entitled, Truth or No Truth. I'm going to be uh, giving you my opinion as to what truth is on various topics today. And I'll just leave it up to you to decide if it's truth or no truth. You know, maybe this might come up at your local Bible study at your church and, and, and y'all might be able to have a round table discussion about some of the stuff that are talked about here uh, because these things need to be discussed. We need to get back to the basics, get back to the drawing board and learn what they say at the Lord. And uh, like I said, and, and, and not compromise God's word in any way. Okay, uh, before I go any further, I always like to open up the show with an invitation to accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, that is the priority of life. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Uh, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth. He came through the door, through the Virgin Mary. And his primary goal was to redeem man back to God. Uh, so during about a three and a half year ministry, Jesus preached and teached and taught throughout uh, the, a certain region in the Middle East, Jerusalem and so forth and so on. And during that time, he drew a great following. He did many miracles. He did many mighty works and people believed on him. But he also made haters. Some people didn't like him because he stole their thunder. And for different reasons. But they eventually arrested Jesus. They falsely accused him, threw him in a prison. The prisoners beat him. And then they placed a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to a cross. And then they hung him on the cross. And when he was hanging on the cross, they pierced him in his side to blood and water start running out of his body. When he was thirsty and he asked for water, they gave him vinegar to drink. And Jesus finally hung his head and died. He died on the cross on Calvary. But it was that death that redeemed all humanity back to God. Only if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Okay. Romans 10 and 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you confess your sins before the Lord, let the Lord know that you know you are a sinner and you know you cannot be saved without him. Ask him to come into your, your heart and, and into your life and be your Lord and Savior, and he will do just that. And from that day forward, believe that Jesus is Lord of your life and begin to learn his commandments, his teaching, his ways. And that's what makes you saved. That's what makes you a saint. That's what makes you a believer. That that is what makes you a brethren. Okay. hopefully you have made that choice to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you have, you have made the greatest choice of your life. Amen. Okay, truth or no truth. I'm going to talk about various topics today and I'll just leave it up to you, the listener, to decide if it's truth or no truth. And I'll give you my best uh, presentation on why I believe what I'm saying is true and why these things do matter. As a matter of fact, let's go to the opening scripture, John 8 and 32. Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is important. Amen. Truth is very important. You need the truth to be free. If truth equals free, then a lie equals bondage. That's right. So it's important for us to get truth. And you can best believe that Satan is behind a lot of the lies that are out there because he wants us to remain in bondage. He wants us to stay in darkness. He wants to he wants us to stay chained and shackled uh, to sin through ignorance because we don't know the truth. So we're going to talk about some stuff today and hopefully uh, you'll get you you'll get some truth and you'll be made free today. Amen. OK, let's start. Let's start with the first one. Tithe, tithe. How important is it to tithe? Um, well, I think tithing is not that important at all. Yeah, I, I, I said it. I don't think it's really that important. It, it, it might have a little significance, but I'm going to explain why. Tithing is an Old Testament standard. It's an Old Testament principle that people... <clears throat> Uh, after the days of Moses had to live by the saints or the, the people of God under Moses had to live by. You had three times a year, you had a tithe of your harvest and you had to bring it to the priest. Okay. And um, God, Jesus has not called us to tithing. And, uh, but most of our churches today teach just that. And that's unfortunate. Because it messes up our giving. Now, I think God will bless beginning Christians who start out tithing at first. But after a while, God will expect us to get truth on the matter of what he expects from us financially when it comes to being a giver. When it comes to being um, your, your, your financial responsibilities towards him. He, he expects us to grow. That's why uh, during the opening of the show, I said you have to learn of the Lord, learn his way so you can be made free. Because 
I hate to say it, but you just can't count on church today for the truth. You just can't. You have to study the word to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I think that's 2 Timothy 2.15. You just can't count on uh, church today to bring you unadulterated truth because there's just so much compromising. There's so much teaching, so many teachings out there that are taught just because they were taught, taught it that way. And they never really researched it. It was just 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 seemed to be okay, and it just went with the flow. And that's not acceptable. But uh, let's get into why I say tithing is not that important today. Because in the New Testament, when Jesus came and he had a three and a half year ministry, he taught various principles for the New Testament, for his new covenant. Okay. And while he was teaching, um, there was a Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount took place. Uh, you can find it in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Chapters five, six, and seven, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about various things. And uh, also in Luke, he talks about the Sermon on the Mount too. Um In chapter six, uh, I believe Luke chapter six and seven, you can find the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, Jesus never did once mention tithing when he was teaching the people, the do's and the don'ts of the New Testament. That's right. Um, Let's look at uh, what he taught when it comes to our responsibility towards God to begin with. How about Matthew chapter six, verses 33? Matthew chapter six, verse 33. Let me turn there myself right quick. Okay, Matthew chapter six. Now, like I said, this is Sermon on the Mount. Now, listen to what Jesus says here. Um, Let me back up a little bit. Let's go back to verses 28 and all the way to verse 34. Matthew... Chapter six, verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is to which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, Jesus is dealing with our need for life, our needs for living. 
your what you're going to eat, drink and where you're going to be clothed and shelter and all these things. How you go pay your bills. He's dealing with all these things. So is his answer tithing? No, it's not tithing. He never mentions tithing. Let's continue to reading. He says, therefore, take no thought of saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now, verse 33, the clincher, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I remember that was one of the earlier memory verses that I had to learn when I was an adolescent. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So God comes first. That's the lesson lesson here. God comes first. Uh, Take no thought. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow for the morrow. So take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough evil in this present day to be occupied. You don't need to be thinking about tomorrow when tomorrow haven't came yet. That's what that's saying there. So the, 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 the first point I want to make when it comes to our giving, uh, when it comes to our time, our money, uh, our service, God comes first. That is the first thing that people need to understand that God comes first. Okay. He is saying nothing about tithing. This is the new covenant. This is not the old covenant. Now I know a lot of people like to, um, in church, you go to church and a lot of, a lot of, uh, preachers, they like to turn to Malachi chapter three and talking about bringing all the tithes to the store. Like, Hey, that's Moses. We're not, we're not under that anymore. Okay. We're talking about what Jesus has to say. Now, what Moses have to say. Okay. So <clears throat> another verse of scripture. Now we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, now this is very, very relative because this is Jesus's way of replacing what Moses had established already because Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai. Now, Jesus is now given his law at the Mount of Olives. All right. You see this, see the, the similarity there. Uh, and that's, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's letting you know, Hey, uh, a new sheriff is in town. You know, Moses was, Moses was great for his time, but Hey, a new sheriff is in, t- in town, Jesus Christ. And now we got to do things his way. Uh, how about Luke chapter six? Let's go to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, go all the way down to the 38th verse. Okay. Now Jesus is on the sermon on the Mount here and he says, give. Okay. And it shall be given unto you. He didn't say tithe and it shall be given unto you. He said, give. See, Moses said tithe. Jesus said give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, 
withal it shall be measured to you again. Okay. Uh, in Corinthians, uh, the apostle Paul said, uh, he said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, that for whatsoever you sow, that should, that shall you also reap. And he said, whosoever shall sow sparingly shall reap sparingly. Whosoever shall sow bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now, what is sparingly and what is bountifully? You know, I guess that's relative to every individual. Now, I say this will be the only time where I will look at tithing because tithing is the only place in the Bible where we can see a standard of an amount, 10%. So could we say that sparingly is anything below 10% and bountifully is anything above 10%? That might, that might work. That might be good. But that is the only way I would ever use tithing as far as our New Testament life is concerned. Okay. So he says, give. This is Luke chapter 6 verse 38 give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down shaken together running over shall men give unto your bosom so he has called us to be givers givers uh, another place he says give to him that asks you know he letting you know just be a giver be a giver God loves a cheerful giver Paul said so this is about the New Testament is about being a giver okay it's not about being a tither and that's unfortunate because I think because the church today teach tithing so much, it really cripples people on their blessing because the New Testament is about being a giver, not a tither. And, and people can let the Holy Spirit lead them on as to how to give. Um, you know, Paul also told, tells us in first Timothy chapter five, that we got to take care of the widows of our family. So if you got, you know, a mother that's a widow or a grandmother that's a widow or a sister that's a widow. He says, hey, don't put that burden on the church. Take care of them. You know, that's one way we can give. Uh, in Colossians, I believe it was, I, I want to say chapter two, where he tells us to communicate unto them that teaches us. In other words, that would be your church. If your church is teaching you the word of God, then you need to give to your church. Okay, so uh, and then he all and then Jesus tells us throughout the scripture to give to the poor, give, give, you know, so we give to the poor, you give to the widows of your family, you know, and you give to your church. You know, there's ways you give in the New Testament. So but, you know, churches would have you have you to believe that you got to give 10 percent of your check to them. And that's not that's not the New Testament at all. So, like I said, you become a cheerful giver. You make sure you give to the Lord first. Now, that brings me to my last scripture on this subject matter, which is very, 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 very critical. How about Proverbs chapter three? Let's go there. Let's go to Proverbs chapter three. And let's look at um, verses nine and 10. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture because it changed my life. I was a tither most of my life and I found myself struggling financially. And a lot of people who go to church find themselves struggling financially, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. 
And we were taught when you start tithing, that will go away. Well, it went away for a little while, but after a while, God expected us to learn the real truth and the real priority of how we are supposed to be givers that that came back, that stressful uh, uh, financial struggle came back somewhat. Well, I found that it went away and it stayed away for me. Now, I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm doing a whole lot better. And this 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 scripture really hits at home. You know, the wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, it says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. That's right. Soon as I get my check before I go and put gas in my car, before I go grocery shopping, before I get on the computer and start paying any bills, I settle up with God first. I figure out what I'm, how much I'm going to give God this check and I make sure he gets his off the top first. He says, verse 10, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That's some good stuff right there. He's letting you know if you put God first in your finances, in your time, in your service, God is going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. And I have found that, I must say, to be true. Uh, it took me a long time to shake the tithing message and transfer it over to the first fruits giving message. That's the key, first fruits giving. And you need to understand the more you perfect first fruits giving, the more God respects it. I mean, I mean, as soon as you get paid, as soon as you get a gift, as soon as you get something, he said in verse nine, he says, honor the Lord with all your substance. And with all your increase, you know, every every time you get something, stop and, 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 and figure out a way on how you can take God's off the top. If you're in the car, pull over. That's right. If you if you just heard your email chirp, letting you know you just got a deposit, then you could pull over and say, let me see what I can give the Lord. You know, God wants to be first. He wants to be number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. OK, I hope that was good for somebody. Hope somebody can get some breakthrough off of that one right there. OK. Here's one that's overlooked. I'm going to my second truth or no truth topic. Who can be our spiritual father? Who can be our spiritual father? Now, this gets overlooked a lot and taken, taken for granted very seriously. But in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, verse nine, Jesus says, call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father, which is in heaven. He said, God is your father. God is your father. And he said, he is the only father you have. And what is Jesus talking about there? People don't talk about this that much. Jesus is talking about spiritually because anytime you're talking about God, the, the, the number one aspect of God is that he is a spirit. He is love. He is a spirit. So when Jesus is talking about God, he's talking about spiritual things. So he's saying, call no man your spiritual father. He's not talking about your biological father. You can call your biological father, dad, pops. Uh, this is my father. That's fine and dandy. That's all good. 
But when you but when it comes to spiritual father, you are never supposed to call no man your spiritual father. And we see that a lot in church today. I see it all the time on TV. Uh, you watching TV and uh, somebody introduce somebody as their spiritual father, a man. And they think just because biologically he's a male that, and, and, and he has helped them spiritually, that makes him a spiritual father. And that's just not true. That's not true at all. And we see the Catholics do it all the time. The Pope and the priest. That's what I believe the word Pope means is father, you know, and, 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 and that's why I have a lot to say about the Catholic church, as you probably have heard me say in the past concerning the end times. And it's not good, but I'm not going to get, get off into that right now. But Jesus is warning us that we have only one spiritual father. Only one. And that's God in heaven. That's father God in heaven. Call no man your, your, your father, no man your spiritual father. You'll, you have only one father and that's God in heaven. So when, when you, you, you might be thinking about in the Bible, you have Paul. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, or he refers to Timothy as his son, you know, or, or how about Peter? Peter refers to Marcus as his son. And, 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 um, I believe it's first Peter. And, um, so we see these men referring to these other men as their spiritual son in the faith. So we automatically assume that since Paul and Peter are males, that that makes them their spiritual father. No, that's not true because we have only one spiritual father and that's God in heaven. And take note, take note. You see nowhere in the Bible, nowhere where any man is referred to as a spiritual father in the Bible. No one ever calls Peter a spiritual father in the Bible. No one ever calls Paul a spiritual father in the Bible. And, 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 and the reason being is because the role they play spiritually that they would rather not be associated with would be a spiritual mother because it kind of steps on a man's macho toes. So they'll just leave it one, a one way direction. And that's just referred to the young man as a spiritual son, but the young, but the young man will not refer back to the older man as a spiritual mother, because that's what he would really be, you know? You know, Paul talks about like, uh, like, like, like the, the spiritual milk, you know, that, that he, that, that we can feed the youth. And so that he, he's referencing their breastfeeding. So see, that's what we are. You know, basically we are spiritual mothers. If anything in the spirit, we, we can only be spiritual mothers. No man can be a spiritual father because we have only one spiritual father and that's God, which is in heaven. And so you can reference that in Matthew 23, nine, where he says, call no man, your father. Okay. That's my second truth or no truth. You can, you can uh, think on that for a little bit. Maybe bring that up at your Bible study one Wednesday or Thursday night or whenever you have Bible study. Okay. Moving on to my next topic. How about water baptism? Water baptism. Is water baptism important for today? That's the question. Is water baptism important for today? And I say, no, it's not. 
It's it's not at all, really. And um, people don't understand the whole baptism history and story. And uh, you see churches still with their baptism, water baptism pools today, still pr- performing water baptism. And it's really uh, a lot of ignorance there. And I'm, of course, I'm going to explain why. But this is how it really played out. In the Bible, John the Baptist came a little, little bit before Jesus stepped on the scene. John the Baptist stepped on the scene. And John the Baptist knew that when Jesus came and when Jesus would operate in his ministry, that Jesus was going to be operating in the great power, the great, wonderful power, spiritual power of the Holy Ghost. And that Jesus was going to eventually lead the world into spiritual baptism under him. Right. John Baptist was a prophet and he knew all of this. And so he came up with a type and shadow, which was water baptism. You know, this is what it's like is what John the Baptist was saying when Jesus uh, comes on the scene and begins to do his baptism. This is what it's like. So it was a type and shadow. And so John the Baptist was going around dipping people in water. Okay. As a, as a type and shadow. And that's why it is known. Water baptism is known in the Bible as the baptism of John. Water baptism is known as the baptism of John. Okay. So what about Mark 16 and 16? When uh, Jesus says he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that don't believe shall be condemned. What is Jesus talking about there? Well, once again, we're talking about Jesus and his baptism. Well, the baptism of Jesus is not about water. The baptism of Jesus is about being baptized in the Holy Spirit through believing on him. That's right. When you believe on Jesus Christ, you truly believe on him. Then you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And so that's what Jesus was referring to. When he says he that believes and is baptized, the same shall be saved. Okay. He's talking about spiritual baptism, not water. You know, I know a lot of a lot of churches over the years have, have read this scripture and just automatically assume Jesus is talking about water when he's talking about the spirit. Okay. Uh, of course, let me look at some scriptures here. Now, um, I want to bring up Peter, you might be saying to yourself, well, how come in the book of Acts, Peter was telling them to get the water out and and to baptize this group of people and to get the water out and to baptize that group of people. And he was about water baptism. And and Peter, at one time, he he thought that um, you had to be water baptized in order to be saved. He kind of was making the he was making the mistake that people are still making today. You know, getting out the water, thinking that it's still um, pretty much a prerequisite of salvation. And uh, but look what Peter goes on to say here after he tells people to be water baptized and have people to get water baptized. And let's take them down to the lake and water baptize these people. You see that all throughout Acts with Peter. Well, go to Acts. um, Chapter 11. And I want you to read what Peter has to say here. 
Yeah, Peter, he makes an adjustment. Yeah, Peter makes an adjustment and he gets it right. And people don't catch that. People don't realize that the disciples were people too. <laughs> and they made mistakes and uh, and uh, they repented and got it right. But uh, how about Acts? Chapter 11. Let's go to verse 16. Now, Peter was talking to some other people about how some... Um, he was talking to the other disciples about how the um, how the uh, Greeks and the Gentiles uh, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And let's look what he has to say here. Acts chapter 11, verse 16. He said, then remember I, the word of the Lord, how. That he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And then so it was kind of like a light bulb went on with Peter here in this chapter, how he was wasting really people's time with the water. And he said, that's that was of John and that that's over with now. He said, now it's about Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And from that moment forward in the book of Acts, you never see Peter trying to water baptize anyone anymore. That's right. So, I mean, if you want to get water baptized today, feel free. I mean, it ain't hurting nothing. Just put the understanding of the moment in its place. You know, it was just a John the Baptist practice and it's not necessarily uh, important today. Okay. Now you can make it important. It was in the Bible, but it's up to you. Truth or no truth. Okay, moving right along. Oh, I got another good one here. How about the Sabbath? The Sabbath. Some people think the Sabbath is uh, Sunday because that's when most people go to church today around the world. But no, uh, the Sabbath is Saturday. According to Old Testament teachings, it's Saturday, the, the seventh day of the week, the last day of the week, Saturday, is keeping the Sabbath important. After all, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Okay. Well, is it important? Truth or no truth? Well, I say no. It's not important anymore. Okay. Um, let's go right to the answer to this question. This this much debated question. You know, Paul says uh, in Romans, I believe it's, I believe it's chapter 14. He said, one man esteemeth this day above another. He says basically, but all days are the same. Not one day is not more holy than the other. Okay. Let's go to why he said that. How about, how about Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. This is some good stuff here. You notice how, uh, I'm, I'm for the most part, I'm staying uh, in the New Testament with all of my scripture evidence. And I did go to Proverbs one time, which is also known as the book of wisdom. But I try all my evidence is right here in the New Testament, the, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. So let's go to Matthew. Chapter 11. 
And let's read verses 27 through 30. And then we're going to go to chapter 12 and then read verse 1. Okay? So Matthew chapter 11, 27, verses 30, and then chapter 12, verse 1. Well, I need to make this print a little bit bigger. Yeah, getting getting older. Ain't that fun when it comes to your physical, physical side of things. Okay, that's better. Melistery underscore page loaded true. King James Version, KJV. Matthew, chapter 11. All right. Matthew, chapter 11. Verse 27, Jesus said, all things are delivered unto me of my father. In other words, God, the father had just given Jesus a blank check to do whatever he wanted to do. Okay. And Jesus is making this known. He said, all things are delivered unto me and my father and no man knoweth the son, but the father neither knoweth any man, the father save the son and he to whom, to whomsoever the son will be, uh, will reveal him. Okay. Then verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. What is Jesus talking about there? He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, see, if you know anything about the Old Testament law, you had to rest from your labors on the seventh day. So he's talking about the Sabbath here. So Jesus has just taken all of these thousand years of history right about 3000 years of history. And he just threw him out the window when it comes to the Sabbath. And he says no longer because God has given him all power. All things are delivered unto me of my father. He said, he is all powerful Jesus. And he said, because of that, I'm relieving you this moment of the Sabbath. And now you don't find rest on Saturday, but you find rest in me. That's what he said here. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's letting you know the Old Testament way was 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 pretty hard. You know, you could have got some stuff done on that Saturday and you wanted to go out there and get some stuff done and, you know, get ahead of your chores. But you couldn't because it was illegal and you can be stoned if you did and kicked out of the church. If you did, Jesus said, look, no more. You ain't got to deal with all that. No more under me. He says, you get your rest through me, you know, so you don't find rest on Saturday anymore. You find rest in Jesus. Then go on to verse. Go down to the next chapter. Okay, and then the very first verse, chapter 12, verse one, and then it says, and at that time, at that time, Jesus just changed thousands of years of history. And at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were hungry 
and they began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. And that was illegal to do before that moment. Before that moment, that was illegal to do because they would have been working on the Sabbath. Not anymore. So no, the Sabbath is not important today because of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a bad man, people of God. Okay. Truth or no truth. Well, this is a heavy one. What is a lie? What is a lie? I believe it was uh, John when he says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be that kind of a liar? What does it mean when uh, Proverbs chapter seven, where it says uh, God hates a lying tongue? And a false witness. What is what does all of that mean? Is any kind of falsification wrong? Is any kind wrong? I mean, we need to know this. And this sounds like a simple answer to a simple question, but it's not. It's not. And I'm gonna go on as far as to say I believe this is why God is not really able to bless his people because his people don't know how to fight. God's people don't know how to fight because God's people have been tricked by the enemy into believing that we have to let the enemy know what cards we have in our hand. If he asks us, (laughs) so we don't have no bluffs, no pump fakes, no, uh, no falsifications, none of that stuff to our enemy. And that's not true. That's not true. Uh, let's talk about this. What does, what is a lie? Okay. I'm going to answer that. But first, let me, let me give you some examples in the Bible on why falsification isn't always wrong. And, and this is not a problem with God. If you understand the balance of the subject matter. Okay. Let's look at Exodus chapter one. There's a story where Pharaoh creates a very wicked and terrible, like abortion law, abortion. Okay. He says, I am decreeing a law that every Hebrew male child should be murdered. Okay. Because the Hebrews or the Hebrew males are starting to outnumber the Egyptian males. And we can't have that because y'all might rise up one day and try to go to war against us. So we're going to stop this now. All the Hebrew males must be aborted, abortion. Okay. And uh, so there was a command for the midwives. And when they are in the delivery room with the Hebrew women, that if it's a male child, that they are to kill, that they are to kill that male child. Okay. This was a law passed by the Egyptian ruler. But the midwives would not do it. They wouldn't do it. They would they would not kill the babies. Okay. And when the Egyptian soldiers would come into the room and say, Where is the Hebrew women's child? She was just pregnant. Where is the child? And they said, I don't know where the child is. 
Okay. The Hebrew women are very vigorous and they, they, they're able to hide their child before we get into the room, be able to push the baby out and, and, and get up and hide the child before we get into the room. Well, guess what? That was falsification. That was not true. But these midwives were helping the Hebrew women so they wouldn't have to kill their child. And the Bible said, and God, what? He blessed them. He blessed them for that and gave them children of their own. That's right. Why would God bless them if they committed a sin? Because it was not a sin. We have to understand, people of God, what it means to be a liar. Okay. How about David? David is another good story. Okay. David's story. Um, when, uh, he was running from King Saul, King Saul was jealous of David because David was so anointed and David was celebrated as a great warrior, as a good looking young man. And, and it made King Saul mad and King Saul decided he wanted to kill David and David, him and a group of men went on, went hiding and went to the wilderness and started uh, running in caves and camping out in different places and, and, uh, make a long story short, David and his men got hungry. So David desired, decided to go to the priest and get the showbread out of the temple. Well, that showbread wasn't really for anybody but the priest. And uh, so David went to the priest and he made up a story because he was hungry. They needed something to eat. And he made up a story and he said to the priest, the king has need of the showbread. Give it to me and I'll take it to him. And the priest said, okay, and gave him the showbread. Gave him some other stuff too. And David and his men were able to eat. Was that a lie? Was that wrong? Well, evidently not, because Jesus talks about that very situation in a positive way. Jesus talks about David taking the showbread in Matthew chapter 12, verse 3. So how could Jesus pat David on the back if he did something wrong? You have to understand, people of God, we have an enemy. Uh, the devil and the devil has a lot of people out there that wants to hurt us, that wants to keep us from getting jobs, that wants to hold us down, that wants to make life hard for us, who wants to break into your house and steal. And, and um, you know, the Bible don't teach that we have to be honest with our enemies. I'm just going to say it like that. And I just gave you two biblical examples right there. You know, the, the midwives and David. Okay. Uh, how about Abraham? Abraham said to uh, the Pharaoh who was looking at Sarah, she is my sister. Now she was his half sister, but Isaac said the same story. She is my sister. And she was not Isaac's half sister. Okay. But they said that to who they perceived to be their enemy that was going to try to kill them. And God had no problem with it. These were still great men of God and, and, and the Bible even goes on as far as to say in first Kings chapter, I want to say 15 verse five, that, that, that the only thing David did wrong in his entire life, it was what he did with the wife of Uriah and Bathsheba. And that was it. And so it doesn't even mention David falsifying information. Okay. 
because David was dealing with his enemy. When you're dealing with your enemy, you don't have to be honest, people of God. That is one of the many morals of the Old Testament stories. Um, so uh, I, I lost my train of thought because I was going to mention how uh, we have enemies out here. That's right. You know, and if someone wants to break into your home, um, you have every right to say, I got a gun. If you don't have a gun to scare him away, you have every right to say, I just call the police. Even if you haven't called the police to scare him away, you don't have to be uh, forthcoming. You don't have to show your opponent you, the, the, the hand you have been dealt with. Okay. And, uh, but Satan has us thinking that we have to be honest in every single aspect of life. And we don't even know how to fight our enemies. So therefore, God has to keep us from battles that would take us to the next level because we don't know how to fight. But what is what is a lie then? With that being said, what is a lie? How about Proverbs chapter 30, verse five and six? It tells us it says, for the word of the Lord is pure. Talking about the commandments of God. For the word of the Lord is pure. It is a shield unto them that put their trust in it. Watch this. Verse six. Add thou not to his word unless he reprove you and you be found what? A liar. A liar. So here it is, people of God. What it means to be a liar. A liar where all liars are going to be cast into the lake of fire. How God hates a lying tongue. What it means to be a liar is those people who compromise the word of God. Wow. Wow, people. People who add or take away from the word of God. That's what it means to be a liar. That's what God hates. When people lie, when people falsify, when people compromise the word of God. That's why I hate it when I hear so many ministries say, and I'll give you an example, one of the biggest lies that people are dealing with today in the church. And that's when a minister or a pastor or a preacher say, well, the only ground for divorce is a spouse that cheats on a spouse or a spouse um, that commits fornication against their spouse. That's adding to the word of God. You know why? Because Jesus with great detail, with great detail, he said, but I say unto you, whosoever puts away his wife, he didn't say their spouse. So you add to the word of God and you say, whosoever puts away his spouse, except to be for fornication, causes their spouse to commit adultery and whosoever marries a spouse that is put away. Also, when you do that, now you create a whole bigger path for the, for the divorce. Okay. Because Jesus only said a man could put away his wife for fornication. He never said a wife could put away her husband for fornication. Why? First Corinthians chapter 11 for man is head of the wife. That's why. Okay. But because most ministries want to fit in with modern day culture, with modern day standards, they compromise the word of God. They add to the word of God to fit with today's times. And that's what it means to lie. Man, this is some heavy stuff, people. 
this this teaching, this broadcast, this this show right here is going to set a lot of people free. That's all it is to it. It's going to set a lot of people free. Okay, so that's what it means to lie. Uh, John said, who is a liar? But he that says Christ is not the Lord. See, if you say Christ is not Lord, you are going against the word of God. Anything that goes against the word of God, anything that adds to the word of God, anything that takes away from the word of God, anything that compromises the word of God. That's what it means to lie. Okay. That's what it means to lie. You don't have to be honest with your enemies, people. If your enemies are trying to hurt you, trying to take your money, trying to take your life, trying to bury you, you don't have to be honest with them. You have every right to falsify information with them. You know why? It's, you know what it's called? It's called the art of war when you do that. That's how many wars were won by bluffing, by setting ambushments. That means be, that means laying wait for somebody and not letting them know you're there. Sneaky, okay? Sneak attacks. All these kind of things are imperative to winning a battle. You don't have to be honest with your enemies. But when it comes to God's word, you better not compromise God's word. That's what it means to lie. Okay. Good stuff here. <clears throat> um. I'm down to my final seven minutes. So I had some other stuff I wanted to talk about, but let's go to some emails. I got some emails I wanted to tackle. Uh, some questions real quick. See if I can get. Okay. Uh, here's one question. It says, okay, so I have always thought that in Genesis, and in Job, where it refers to the sons of God, that it meant angels. But does the Bible ever call angels sons of uh, or children of God? And I believe you are right. That's exactly this is this question was from Randy uh, Stidham, Stidham, Randy Stidham. And I believe you're right. Uh, Job talks about the son of God presenting themselves on this particular day before God. And Satan also was there. So, you know, this is an angelic gathering before God. And uh, absolutely. Uh, Genesis chapter six, where it talks about the sons of God. Uh, or Yeah, the sons of God looking on the daughters of men and how they were fair and then how they took amongst them wives and giants were in the land and all, those were angels. And uh, that's what Jude and Peter talks about when these angels left their former estate. He's talking about that very story right there in Genesis chapter six, I believe it was. So yes, those are angels. Uh, second question, it says, where uh, were the Old Testament saints incorporated into the church at Pentecost? And this is from Jose Neves or Nevaz. Jose Nevas. Um, well, I believe saints were incorporated into the church uh, at Calvary when Jesus uh, went to the grave. Uh, the Bible, according to uh, I believe it was First Peter chapter three, he tells us that Jesus preached to the souls in the graves, lost souls in the graves, because everybody was lost until they accepted Jesus as Lord. So I believe it was it was at Calvary when Jesus died on the cross and went to the grave. That's when. Uh, 
Old Testament saints were incorporated into the church. Okay. It says, any thoughts on, uh, oh, no, it says, who is James C. Taylor? Is he recommended? I'm sorry, but I never heard of him, so I can't comment on him. Next question. Um, if the rapture is post-trib, then who enters the millennium? Okay, good question. You have to understand that the millennium takes place after the tribulation. Because so you have to, you have the great tribulation, which is the final three years uh, on earth as we know it today. It's the final three years. People are going to have the mark of the beast who sides with the Antichrist and are following his leadership. And then Christians who don't take the mark of the beast, they're going to be separate and be getting by. And then after the great tribulation is over, okay, then the rapture is going to take place. Okay. Jesus is going to rapture up his church. All those people who, who have gotten saved since the days of, of Adam, all the way up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. All those people are going to be raptured in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Okay. So, and then they're going to be called up in the heavens. And then Jesus is going to come out, come down with his mighty angels. And that's where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place on earth. Okay. Jesus is going to kick a lot of butt. And then after that, then you're going to have the millennium, the, the, the 1000 year rule and reign with Christ. So yes, the rapture people are going to be uh, in the millennium for a thousand years with Christ. Okay. That was from Joe. Uh, Shemel, I believe that's how you say it. Okay, then the next question is the resurrection that takes place at the rapture, not the same first resurrection that John spoke of in Revelation chapter 20? Well, yes, it is the same. Uh, the, the, the resurrection, the first rapture, right after the, the, the great tribulation, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, after the tribulation of those days, so shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall. And then he's going to send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth, north, south, east, and west. So that's the, that's describing the rapture. Okay. And, the, and, and Paul tells us in first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16, that the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected during that rapture. So that's the first resurrection. Okay. Now the second one is going to be terrible because it's going to, it's going to deal after the millennium reign with Christ. It's going to deal um, with the wicked people who did not make Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. Okay. I'm about out of time. That was a good show today. I hope you enjoyed it. Today's broadcast. Again, I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Uh, tell family, friends, uh, co-workers about the show, if you enjoyed it, if you found it informative, if, if it's iron sharpening iron, if you are growing, please share this show with others. I'm on every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time on this very network. Okay. I also have a website called thiefinthenightministries.com. That's thiefinthenightministries.com. You can email me or contact me there. Above all, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, I wish that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prosper. God bless. Take care. Peace.